0: Hey there, prom party. If this is your first time listening to the show, or if you're a returner, we just wanted to give you a little heads up ahead of time that this episode might not sound like the episodes that you are used to.
1: So as the editor, we found out after recording that um, my microphone was not hooked up properly. Uh, despite our tests, it looked fine, but it wasn't. And uh, <laughs> what you're going to hear from uh, me, the Harmony side of the Colangelo team, is me being loud enough <laughs> that I'm getting picked up on everyone else's microphones, but not my own. So tried to tried to fix a little bit in post. Hopefully it is still good for you.
0: Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, it sounds like Harmony is being kept in a room
1: away from everyone. She wasn't. She was there with us. I'm just the conscience that's just buzzing in the back of your brain for (laughs) shitty commentary.
0: So we just wanted to give you all that heads up so that way uh, you know what to expect with this one. And as always, we thank you so much for listening and for being patient with us and for understanding that, hey, you know what? Shit happens
1: sometimes. Yep. Hope you all enjoy our episode on the House Bunny. Roll the intro! I
2: don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I...
0: Welcome back, prom party. Hello. Do you remember... On the last episode for Kiki's delivery service, when I went, oh, it's the last one we're recording in our place in Cleveland. I lied,
1: and I said no because we have pl- other plans.
0: Yeah, I uh, I forgot about our other plans, so this is this is the other plans. Enjoy. <laughs> I hope you I hope you like my mistake and uh, you're very professional. I know I'm I'm great at things. I should have just looked at our schedule. We have like a very color coded, very type A Excel spreadsheet. It's not an Excel spreadsheet. It's a Google Doc. Let's and be real.
1: I'm the one updating it. Not I know. You. What the
0: fuck? <laughs> hey, I updated it after you updated it today, so I kind of did my things. It
1: like ten minutes ago. It hasn't <laughs> been updated since like
0: November. I know. It was really bad. I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, this is." I really dropped the ball on this. I gotta, I gotta fix this. But hey, I fixed it now, and now it's beautiful.
1: Right. I'm sure it's very colorful again. Okay.
0: <laughs> for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I am one of your co-hosts. My name is B.J. Calangelo, and nestled next to me on our couch. Under our blanket, in our sweaters, because it is officially the last time we're going to have to record this show in the cold, is my wife.
1: Harmony Calangelo. Harmony. Harmony.
0: I'm sorry, I just, I can't, I can't not do it. Like, the name is actually in it. We've been,
1: I've I've been low-key just been like, oh my god, I can't wait till we do this movie so that I
0: can do that. (laughs) So if uh, if you read the title of this episode, as you should have, uh, we are watching The House Bunny. I can't read. Oh. It fits the theme of the movie. That's a shame. We'll <laughs> teach you one day. You'll get learned real quick. Oh, thank you. But we are watching The House Bunny. But today we are not alone, friends. We are joined with an absolute Cleveland icon, a vintage dealer, the wonderful fashionista behind Fancil Fond Vintage. We have... Cassie Trainer with us today. Hi, Cassie.
3: Hi, I'm so excited to do this.
0: I'm so excited to have you here.
3: One of the first things that Harmony and I actually bonded over was this movie and the Hot Chick. Which, what? like,
1: oh boy, what what comedies for us to bond over <laughs> like know. eight years ago?
3: <laughs>
1: I
0: wish that all friendships were formed on a mutual love of movies that most people think are terrible.
3: But
1: Anna Faris is such a
3: classic. I love her. I don't see how anyone could think this movie is terrible, honestly. Right? I'm
0: right there with you. I am definitely a, a big defender of the house money, because I think that it's great. So before we dive in, we're taking a page from our friends over at the Why Did We Ever Meet podcast, and we are doing our Business in the Front... Party in the Butt. Business in the Front means... We have a Patreon, friends. If you like what we do here on This Ends At Prom and you'd like to support us, join us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends At Prom. Our tier started at one whole dollar and we offer a lot of cool stuff that you can read more about in the show notes description. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends At Prom. We love having you. We post a lot of ridiculous memes, a lot of shit posting, a lot of dumb GIFs. Probably
1: could do more shitposting.
0: Probably could do some more shit posting. I need to get better at shit posting. I'm a little too. You're too type A. I'm too type You're A. You're too type A. I'm too. I'm too profesh. <laughs> so we'll fix that one of these days. So more importantly, Cassie, what is it about the House Bunny that made you say, "You know what? I can talk about this movie for an hour."
3: Well, when it came out, um, my cousin and I were kind of obsessed with watching comedy movies that we could watch over and over and over again. Ones that had like hilarious one-liners that we would repeat, you know, in daily life. Mm-hmm. And this was just one of those movies I could watch, and to this day I could watch over and over again. Anna Faris Ferris is just so incredibly pure. Yes. And adorable. Oh my god. She has a million outfits, which I can relate to. It's I change my out when I throw dance parties. I change my outfit two three times so <laughs> seeing her change her outfit 10 times over the course of a montage was really amazing and um i kind of relate to her character and emma stone's character just an amalgamation being, yes being a, <laughs> sort of uh awkward but also just like kind to a fault mm-hmm Wonderful.
1: We always say that you are like one of the most pure majestic people that either of us have ever met. (laughs) I
0: think I've described you at least... 47 times as just human sunshine. <laughs>
1: oh, so sweet. You're such a perfect dandelion.
0: Or anytime we'll like go visit you when you're bartending, it's like, oh, look at that perfect angel over there. That little bartending angel.
1: <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make Cassie cry. I know, then. we you should stop. A-
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but that's why we were so excited to have you on because you are the only person we haven't invited in the safety of our home since uh, the world went to shit.
0: Because you're also responsible, and that's something we appreciate about
1: you. Exactly. So this is kind of like a, a fun going away party where we get one friend, and mm-hmm. we get to come together and have tacos and drink just a little bit. And we should have margaritas, but we didn't really think that far in advance. So instead, we had <laughs> mango Bud Light seltzers. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we just had a little a little party, and now we're now we're recording, and this is going to be super fun.
0: So in case you have not seen the House Bunny, first off, what are you doing? Like, right? Second of all, uh, talking to our friends over at Fandango, our friendangos. The synopsis is that sexpot Shelly Darlington, on lives comfortably at the Playboy mansion until a jealous rival gets her tossed out on her tail. That's
1: spoilers.
0: With nowhere else to go, she winds up at Zeta Alpha Zeta Sorority. The seven socially inept Zetas will lose their house unless they can attract more pledges. And to do that, they need to learn the ways of makeup and men from an expert.
1: Are there seven of them? Is this weirdly like a, sit- a, a Cindy white, white
0: situation? situation? Yeah, oh there are seven. That's weird. Uh, that's a weird coincidence.
1: Yeah.
0: Um I'm not entirely sure that I buy that description. I think that that is that is the so vapid way of describing this movie. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, but then again it's it's Fandango. They are 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 classically known for half-assing the descriptions of any movies that they don't really have the passion for. Anything that's not like Considered culturally or critically significant.
0: That's very true. So, Harmony, I'm curious what brought you to the House Bunny? Because this is an odd choice, I think, for most people in general, but especially for someone who came to womanhood later in life. Um, I'm curious what drew you to this movie.
1: I love the cast a lot. This, This movie has three of my favorite, like, comedic women. Which is Anna Ferris, Kat Dennings, and Emma Stone. Okay, I love all three of them. I will watch most of the things they're in, including occasionally watching Two Broke Girls, even though the writing is not um, great. <laughs> but you know what? Kat Dennings made a shit ton of money off that and can now just you know be cranky on Twitter, and I love that. <laughs> so yeah, the the trailer looked fun enough. It looked like. Real stupid, and mm-hmm. I, I like a good smart stupid movie, which mm-hmm. is a really intelligent way of describing <laughs> how Anna Ferris's character of Shelley is written, because she's not she's not dumb, she is um, blissfully airheaded, and she's really really well written in that sense where. A lot of simple things where like she'll say something and everyone's like, oh my God, how can you be so stupid? And it's like, well, no, here's what I mean by that. And then they go, well, now I feel bad. I'm going to have to issue another ticket. Would you maybe stop
2: giving me tickets if I told you I was having a really bad week because I used to be a Playboy bunny, but I got kicked out of
3: the mansion because I'm 59 years old? I'm going to have to ask you to step out of the car and take a breathalyzer. A lot of times it's like those kind of vapid, quote unquote, characters are written as negative in the storyline and she, hers is definitely like a positive beautiful thing right so that it kind of makes the movie unique in that way
0: there was uh, something i found really interesting uh, when this movie turned 10 a couple years ago entertainment weekly did a big write-up uh kind of revisiting it and they said a full decade before ferris made a misguided and ultimately totally unnecessary remake of overboard she was already giving us her best Goldie Hawn, that kind of fantastic daffiness that you can only pull off if you're actually pretty smart.
3: That's yeah. a really good.
0: Yeah, I'll I really liked it. that. And then they also said it's uh, the stealth acting equivalent of Dolly Parton's honey. It takes a lot of money to look this cheap, <laughs> <laughs> which I also completely agree with. And I think we, we talked about it a little bit on our Patreon episode for just friends and that Anna Ferris is the perfect person to play that kind of airheaded, stupid character, but does it in a really smart way.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: While we're on the topic of Anna Ferris, since she's obviously the lead in this, let's talk about the character of Shelley Darlington. Cassie, what do you make of Shelley? How do you feel about her?
3: I absolutely love her. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like what I was saying with her being, even though she's not... Like, she probably doesn't have the highest IQ. She's still just such a kind person. And just because she chooses to be a playboy bunny, mm-hmm. and which is oftentimes looked down upon, and I think they they kind of touch on that in the movie with the other sorority girls. And actually, even the Zetas in the beginning, when they find out that she's a bunny, mm-hmm. they are taken aback, and they automatically assume that's a lesser position in life. But I think, like, by the end of the movie... You find out that it takes all sorts of people to make the world go round and it's okay. It, it as long as you're a good person, and that's the most important thing. That's, that's- I sounded really, really corny there, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, I think you're I think you're totally right though. I mean, right off the bat, there's all these preconceived notions that we have about what it means to be a playmate, right? Like I think we all grew up either watching those weird, like things on Comedy Central super late at night if people at the at the mansion or this is around the same time that the girls next door is on TV so people think they have an idea of what goes on in the house and we make these weird assumptions like oh if you've done Playboy that means x y and z and that's not true like it's a job the same way that some people model with their boobs out on Vogue and it's considered you know, high fashion fashion couture, but... It's in black and white. (laughs) Right. It's in black and white and they're holding a bottle of perfume. Um, But then you do something like Playboy and suddenly it's like, oh, they're dirty or oh, they must be stupid. And none of those things are true. Or
3: they're a slut. And and that's in some way like a negative thing. It's just all of these predisposed notions about what it means to be, to, to show yourself naked. And then now today... I feel like we're kind of breaking down those boundaries with people modeling uh, through OnlyFans. Oh, or yeah. Or mm-hmm. Instagram showing moderate amounts of nudity is just completely... It's different now than it was in 2008, which was only 12 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But, like, that's, that, that's
1: really interesting, though, is that even in 2008, the sort of Playboy Bunny lifestyle was seen as uh, unhip by most people. Mm-hmm. Like long gone are the days where Weezer doing the Beverly Hills video was seen as like super cool, which I don't even know if Weezer's was video cool? was considered <laughs> cool. So like I that hated gives you a, that, song. that gives you a real good idea of kind of where the standing was socially of being uh, a Playboy bunny, I guess. But you have this weird double standard of. People wanting to obviously see like Playboy bunnies or OnlyFans models or Instagram models or just any kind of person who who shows their body and they go, yeah, I want to see that. But also you should respect yourself more and you're clearly like a dumb slut for it.
0: Which in all honesty is just, that's the patriarchy at work. That's, you know, anti-fem bias at play. It's all of these different societal factors that we all have to navigate through every single day and... It's bullshit, and it's stupid, and I like that this movie kind of calls it out. It calls it out not only through the men in this movie, but also through the women. There's a lot of internalized misogyny that I think a lot of us grapple with, and we see that with the Zetas, both with how they treat Shelley and also how Shelley treats them, and I think it's a great learning experience for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I think is really fascinating to me is... So the House Bunny was created, uh, it's, it's written by Kirsten Smith and Karen McCullough Lutz, who are, honestly, they are patron saints at this podcast. Like These are the women behind Legally Blonde and 10 oh. Things I Hate About You, which I, uh. I know, you're not, I'm not a fan. Um, <laughs> she's the man, like a ton of other just like wonderful movies that really speak to what this podcast is all about. Things that are on the list. Things that are on the list, correct. Um, but they wrote this movie with Anna Faris in mind. Like, they saw Just Friends and went, holy shit, she's amazing. We need to write something for her. So they met with her at, like, a coffee shop and were like, hey, we want to write a movie for you. What ideas do you have? And Anna Faris had the idea about this, you know, Playboy Bunny, What like, what happens to them after they leave. And they all kind of worked together and created this this story. So this movie at its heart and, at you know, in its soul, is Anna Faris. And I think that that's really incredible because not a lot of women have that kind of power. Mm-hmm. Especially in comedy.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, the 2000s, she was untouchable for, like, a
3: comedic actress.
0: Yeah. Scary movie did, did great things for her.
3: Yeah. And her character in The Hot Chick. Oh, gosh. She's so, so amazing. Which... Even though she's not the main character, her as a supporting actress, I think... Would, the movie wouldn't be the same without her.
1: Not at all. And that's just kind of the one role that she plays really, really well in most of the movies that she is in. Whether it's um scary movie where it's a similar kind of ditzy, the hot chick, the house bunny, and they're all like these very innocent, very pure, but uh, really aloof women. And then you have that in a much meaner sense for what Jess Friends is. Oh, yeah. She's
0: she's like she's certifiably crazy in that movie um and it's just wonderful but i'm glad that you brought up the hot chick because something else that i learned in kind of doing a lot of research on this is that the hot chick is a big reason why this movie even got made um both of the writers did an interview on medium about the movie and they asked you know how the hell did this movie end up at happy madison which is adam sandler's company And they talk about how they had like a lot of rejection. They pitched it like over 20 times and everybody rejected it. And then they finally got a pitch over at Happy Madison. And Anna got there really early because I guess she's like notoriously punctual. And she saw Adam Sandler in the lobby and he was like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm here to pitch my movie And he was so excited that she was there that he came into the meeting, loved the pitch. And like within 24 hours was like, hey, everyone, I like this actress we worked with on The Hot Chick. She's great. And let's make this movie happen. That's how it got funding. That's how it got made. And I don't I don't know. We all know that I'm a big apologist for Adam Sandler. Like I wrote a whole list on his best movies for What to Watch. I know he's a maligned
1: (laughs) figure. Good guy, Adam Sandler.
0: Yes, look at him believing in this in this women written, like women produced comedy. And he's like, yeah, let me make this happen. Let me use my privilege for good.
3: I honestly like did do not like Adam Sandler as an actor, but finding I didn't know that he had anything to do with the house bunny or the hot chick. Mm -hmm. And now finding this out, I have a new opinion of him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that he's definitely one of those figures in media that, you know, people have a lot of mixed feelings on. And I admittedly have the same feelings of sometimes that humor is just so like blatantly offensive it's ridiculous but watching the house bunny and seeing this kind of humor it's very apparent to me that he let them have their own freedom despite you know producing it and i think that's really impressive because we hear all the time all these stories about jokes in women-led comedies that either get, like, stifled or they change them, and um, in that interview I read, even the writer said that there's the joke that she says, like, oh, somebody needs a Manny Petty stat, and that was a production change, and they were like, no one's gonna think that's funny, like, that's not a funny joke, and the original line was like, gee, someone needs a vibrator stat, and they were like, yeah, we know that joke is funnier, but, you know, it could have prevented the, the PG-13 rating, because this is not a hard-R comedy, and that was, like, The big thing at this time.
1: God, it's one fuck though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's a good (laughs) use too.
1: It was a trailer shot, but you know, obviously they didn't say fuck in the trailer.
2: (laughs) Oh, wait here for a second. I think I dropped some money over here the other day. I just don't know wherever could it be. Maybe it's over here by this manhole. Ah! That's fucking hot. I think
0: they took her saying frickin' f- about the bird. Yes. And then put that over where she actually says, "I gotta ah!
3: this frickin' bird.
0: And I think they just, like, put that frickin' over when she's like, Ah, it's fucking hot!
3: <laughs>
0: so, so we talked a bit about Shelly. Let's talk about our Zetas. Let's talk about our sorority girls. So, Cassie, you said that you identify with Emma Stone's character. Can you
3: expand upon that a little bit? Well. No. Uh, Natalie! I've kind of always been an awkward person. I was a a really shy nerd growing up. Um, And Emma Stone is sort of an awkward human. And especially when she starts talking about her ideas for uh, different sorority activities... (laughs) <laughs> like having a beekeeping club and bring your own mouse party i would have gone to all of those Yeah.
0: <laughs> but would you have gone to like the paleontology bake sale
3: hell yes Everybody i mean saw i love jurassic park <laughs> if
0: somebody was like the my, in my brain I know that it's not the same thing, but I keep thinking about those oatmeal packets they used to sell when we were kids. With, with the with...
3: dinosaur eggs? Yes, the
0: dinosaur <laughs> eggs, and you put the hot water on them and they turn into dinosaurs. I don't know. I want that as like an oatmeal raisin cookie, but it's like the dinosaur oatmeal
1: cookie. <laughs> you see, at the side quest, we actually had a really fun thing where we made... Um ice cubes that had dinosaurs in them, and they looked like the amber, basically. Oh, that's
0: right. So then they
1: would melt, and you would just be able to excavate your own dinosaur from your drink, and I was like, I imagine it's like that, but cookie, but you have to warn Mm. people, otherwise they're going to eat like a plastic dino.
3: (laughs) They had these uh, Jurassic Park popsicles that were like made out of sherbet that were so delicious at the time, and my dad actually... Loved them so much that he bought. He contacted the company and bought a case of them. Oh, my God. Had to, we had to get a separate fr- freezer for the garage <laughs> for this because there were so many popsicles. Oh my God, and amazing. so for an entire year, our whole family got to eat these popsicles. I still remember exactly what they taste like.
0: I love that your family had to get the separate freezer for dinosaur popsicles and my family had to get a separate freezer because my mom's an extreme couponer and she kept getting lean cuisines and we had nowhere else
2: to put them also a legit
3: reason (sighs) so
0: harmony do you identify with any of the zetas
1: yeah obviously natalie yeah okay so talk about it break that down um because i am not what one might call smooth and there's multiple moments where you just leaned over in us watching this movie and she's just saying, like, doing really awkward things but like, yeah, water, like, what if we, like, wet our pants? Like, ha, ah, that's funny, that's cool, right? That's hot, right? Like, it's not hot, it's, it's cooling off, wet my pants. And you're like, that's totally you. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the kind of energy I bring to, um... Probably most situations, but I at least try to sound like I know what I'm talking about for the sake of the podcast. But hey, my gimmick is that I don't have to know anything.
0: (laughs) So, my question which of the Zetas am I? Because I want to hear your interpretation. I have my own idea of who I am, but I think you're a better judge of character because you're not going to have bias. So,
1: who do you think I am? You're, You're Mona. You're Kat Dennings. Uh, yeah, I am. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I really am. And You're, you're the cranky <laughs> alternative one with the big boobs.
0: Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I grew them myself. I'm aware. <laughs> I think I identify with Mona in a lot of ways. One, I tend to just identify with Kat Dennings in general because I think we bring uh, that same level of just cynicism to most situations. <laughs>
1: A certain genus aqua qua for being done.
0: <laughs> yes. Like just perma done. Um, but more importantly, I think that I definitely was that insufferable person in college who had kind of that anti femme, like, you're just perpetuating you know, patriarchal standards of beauty and blah blah blah. Like, I definitely went through that phase. I was hugely impacted by sort of that anti-Megan Fox wave that happened in the late 2000s where women just decided that anybody who was conventionally attractive was the enemy. I definitely went through that phase. Uh But I also relate with Mona because Mona realizes that, hey, that's kind of bullshit. And like, that's also bad. That's not a great way to be. And I'm glad that they show that in a character of you can change and the opinions that you have don't have to stay the same and it's a good thing if you evolve.
3: Yeah. (laughs) And how at the end they say that they can be a little bit of themselves and also a little bit of Shelly. It's okay to you know mix these two types of personalities. You don't have to stick to one and it's okay to like wearing makeup sometimes but also Be, like, down with the patriarchy. (laughs) Oh,
0: totally. Mm. I mean, I definitely have a lot of residual weird feelings because I did pageants for so many years. So when I had retired from doing pageants, that's when kind of my, like, angry feminism came out, I like to think. and then it never went away (laughs) it never went away but then I like kept that angry feminism and then was like yeah but it's totally cool when I wear false eyelashes like that's cool I'm not perpetuating dick like I'm wearing what I want because it makes me happy
1: they're magnetic it's science
0: yeah I use Arashine because a lot of you have asked I do not use Glamnetic it's expensive and I'm on a budget (laughs) So, yes, that's that's definitely who I am. But I also think there's a little bit of me in, like, Catherine McPhee, who I think she's Harmony, at yeah, Pregnant Harmony? Yes. Yeah. Um, A little bit of that, too, because I absolutely would be that person at karaoke who, like, would see the lyric change of, like, a virgin to, like, a loser and be like, nah, I'm committing!
1: We're going for it! I, I don't think she did that on purpose.
0: She didn't, but I would
1: have. It was more of a, <laughs> Von Burgundy will read anything on the teleprompter situation.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh... You're more correct in that regard. That's absolutely what happened. But I know myself that if, if I saw that change, I'd be like,
1: we're going with it. I mean, in that scene, I'm like this sort of smooth. That's like, does anyone know in the crapper where the crapper is? I need to drop off some timber. <laughs> <It is>. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's me in that scene.
0: So, OK, thank you for bringing that up. Cassie, have you seen the movie Sorority Boys? A long time ago. Uh,
1: It is one of my ultimate favorites. (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, It's fantastic. Much of what I know about sorority life is established (laughs) by this film. Because that's where I understood the trope of the loser sorority that apparently is a real thing.
0: But thinking about sorority boys, though, all I could think about is they also have that character. The the gentle giant. The gentle giant who's like this woman who's way taller than everybody and has a deeper voice and everything she says is like vaguely inappropriate. Yeah. So that like it's weird because that's, you know, those are parallels. And then I know we also addressed earlier that there's some Sydney White parallels. Mm -hmm. Like the Zeta house is the vortex.
1: Yeah. One hundred
0: percent. And there's seven of them in each house. And in both of those movies, the one person of color in the house doesn't fucking talk.
1: Uh, and they're foreign.
0: Yes, and they're
1: foreign. <laughs> what the shit? Why is that a thing? Like who decided that in in the world? I don't know. It just that, that's just how it ended up on accident
0: probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I do like that it's Keely Williams from from 3LW who as some of you out there hopefully know, was a cheetah girl. So royalty, we must respect.
1: I will probably learn about cheetah girls at some point. Yeah, probably. Okay. One of these days. <laughs> not one of these days soon. No. We just it'll... did the spreadsheet. We do not have openings for a
0: while. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be some time. But so we've also got some, some boys, and by boys, I mean only one of them is really worth talking about. Uh, there's two boys. Yeah, there's... There's two, but there's really only one that I kind of care about. That's just me, though.
3: Is it Colin Hanks?
0: Yeah, it's Colin Hanks. Okay. <laughs> so, Cassie, how do you feel about <laughs> Oliver?
3: <laughs> uh, I think he's adorable.
0: Tell me about him. Why is he adorable? Because I He's just agree. an
3: all-around good guy. I mean, he works at a nursing home, and he seems genuinely sweet. And it's maybe it's not the type of guy that Shelly normally goes for, but she's innately attracted to him. And... End up working out, and she deserves to be with a good guy.
1: I agree, this is the kind of guy I want you to end up with. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Thank you, I I can only hope
1: (laughs) you deserve a nice guy as well as our (laughs) Shelly.
0: Something that I really like about the exchanges that the two of them have is that Shelly is kind of operating on the like the Ryan Reynolds in Just Friends mode where. In that movie, we talked about how he sort of assumes I have to act this certain way to win the girl and this is how people see me and this is what I need to do. And Shelly kind of does that with Oliver when she meets him because I think she's so used to people treating her a certain way um, because she's a bunny that she doesn't fully know how to relate to other people.
1: Oh, no, not at all. Well, one thing that I think is actually really interesting about Oliver in this movie is that it's because of our only real male character that Shelley understands she doesn't need to placate to men and it totally shifts the perspective on how this film handles its femininity. Because she's only ever grown up around like men who grossly sexualize her and Oliver's a nice guy who's not interested in the uh, oh, I've got you know, multiple guys and I'm just going to talk about my ass and basically just cater to what I think you want, which is sex and the thrill of the chase because he wants to have a conversation and I don't care if it's homophobic, the reaction of Shelly going, you mean he's gay? is <laughs> so fucking funny. <laughs> but I think that that just, it, it marks a really significant shift in what the movie is dealing with as far as how all of our zetas act.
0: I think it's also really reflective of, I think in general, just how we as women are taught our value is when it comes to men, because we talk a little bit about there's some internalized misogyny with with the girls and how they immediately judge Shelley, but I think that also goes in with how Shelley sees herself and you know you were talking about the thrill of the chase and like talking about you know your boobs and your body and whatever and there's nothing wrong if that's like who you are as a person that's great the issue is that shelly doesn't know anything different i mean she basically went from an orphanage to the playboy mansion so she she doesn't know how to to function really in around other people outside of like playboy and that's like an entirely different planet
1: yeah she was basically raised by wolves
0: She's raised by bunnies. I know, but like,
1: that's the only like world she knows and that's who she emulates. And uh, I can't imagine that the very luxurious and uh, really fantastical life at the Playboy Mansion is going to foster the, the, a wide range of feelings, especially if you ha- don't know anything else, really.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, can't, I don't think we can really hold it against her. Like, that's all she knows. Like, that's you don't know what you don't know,
1: mm-hmm. you know? that's, that's just ignorance and not in a spiteful way. It's just, you
0: know, yeah, it's not in an insulting way. It's in like the, that's what the definition of ignorance is. Yes.
3: She tried to hide from Oliver in the beginning that she ever was a Playboy bunny.
0: Which also means that she's aware of like the social connotation of being in Playboy, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really interesting thing to grapple with. I, I watch a lot of, um, like after porn ends the documentary I've read, a bunch of books by Seika. um I've watched the episode of Wife Swap with Tracy Lords and Jack Hay. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's a wonderful episode. But a lot of these women who have either made their name in porn or you know any sort of like raunchy anything, they're fully aware that while they do not have regrets for what they've done, that it does impact the relationships around them and the people that they've known. And that's such a weird thing to me, and I guess it's just because I'm, like, aggressively sex positive. I don't know. Yes. But that's always been something that I have never been able to understand. Like, why the fuck do you care?
3: I, it beats me. <laughs> I'm, with you, I'm with you.
0: Yeah, it just seems like the most, like, pointless thing to be upset with somebody for, or to judge them for. It's like, imagine if that's the way we treat it, if we found out that people were, like, I don't know, like, firemen. Like, oh, God, you did that? How dare you? Like, nobody, it's a job. Like, who fucking cares? It doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt you. Just let people live their life.
1: Yeah, I, I mean... 2020 made me pretty pro fireman. So, <laughs> yeah, it's very... I'm also pro
0: fireman.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: As the saying
0: goes, <laughs> nobody wrote a song called "Fuck the Fire Department."
3: <laughs> I know. What is it about firemen?
1: I, I don't know because they're genuinely doing good things. Firemen aren't starting fires. That's yes. true. That's so. true.
0: <laughs> there's, n- I don't know if there's systemic like fire racism or like fireman brutality. I don't think they're running around and stopping houses on the side to set them on fire and tell them it's their fault. I don't think that's happening. I
1: mean, as people who are going to be uh, looking at my fake watch, uh, approximately now being in LA uh, (laughs) is as a state that's constantly on fire. Hey, firemen, big, big fans, keep doing your thing. Yeah, keep
3: doing your job. Get a bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) I've been pro-fireman since about, I'd say five years ago, I locked my keys in my car and I called the police department and they said, oh, we don't, we don't do that anymore. We don't unlock cars, but you can try calling the fire department. So I did and they showed up in less than, less than five minutes, sirens blazing to come <laughs> in and about six firemen jumped off of the truck to, and they were like, are you okay, ma'am? <laughs> and unlocked my car and like you know two minutes flat
1: <laughs> oh that's so funny we had a moment at the bar that i work at obvious well i guess i don't work there anymore tragic but uh the bar i guess i now used to work at we had a moment where it was like one thirty on a monday and i had like my late night monday crowd who comes in and we would watch wrestling and then we would just hang out and shoot the shit until close so it's like one thirty, and i'm doing all my closing stuff Next thing I know, a fire truck pulls up to the front of the bar and, like, eight firemen wearing, like, full decked out, like, I'm about to go into an inferno gear with axes and hands come and, like, start charging towards the door. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Apparently we had a fire alarm that was going off in the, uh, connected apartment in the back of the building because someone was probably... Smoking weed, and the firemen fully were prepared to like cut our door down with like the five of us in here just going, What the fuck? They're ready to save your life. That was very considerate of them, but it was like, There clearly was not a fire, but they're like, We have an alarm going off. And I'm like, Where? (laughs) Not here. It was very intense.
0: So to, to bring it back <laughs> off, of, off of the fire truck and, uh, you know, back in the sorority house. this? car wash. Honestly, that wasn't bad. It was a little bold and a bit abrupt, but pay for effort. Yeah, I <laughs> So I want to explore a little bit some of the themes that are in the House buddy. So one that we have returned to time and time again for this podcast is the idea of the makeover. Uh-huh. So I'm really curious to hear your both of your thoughts on the makeover in this movie. And if you want to compare it to other movies, that's cool, too.
2: Okay, ladies. Today's lesson is makeup. First, we must highlight your eyes. The eyes are the nipples of the face.
0: <laughs> Harmony, I'll start with you. How do you feel about the makeovers
1: in this movie? So I don't know what it is, but I seem to remember... Watching this movie and, like, how the makeovers handled was always the one part of this movie that just sat really poor with me, and it totally didn't this time. Okay. For some reason, I seem to remember, like, the Zeta Girl rap from the credits playing in the middle of the movie when they're, like, fixing up the house and going over makeovers and something about that felt like so much more, um, I guess we'll borrow a line from the movie, uh, vapid, but it, it's not really, it's really just, um... It's a necessary swing of the pendulum to a harsh other degree because, yeah, it's it's basically Shelly teaching these girls how to be popular with the uh, shallow, vapid guys who are all about her at the car wash. See, I brought her back around. <laughs> so that happens and everyone is all on board with it and they like that the guys that, are in, that they were interested in now are interested back and they're very popular because they have this big party where they sacrifice emma stone down a water slide and everything seems to be going really really great but there's then this crisis where they're now selecting new pledges and they're just being extremely shallow and judging them because it's like well there's a new zeta image and i don't know if they're really like good zeta material and essentially just being the version of the girls at the other sorority house that they hate and then they lash out at Shelley before realizing, okay, but Shelley actually had really good style and taught us some really, really good stuff, so we can do both. We can do some of the things that she taught us, but also still be ourselves and there's nothing wrong with that. So, I actually really like how the makeover is handled in the whole film but, like, of course, it's, like, it's really... It, it's bad theming if you look at it in, like, a singular vacuum of maybe, like, that one scene or two. But as, as a whole, it's, like, I think it's great.
0: How about you, Cassie? How do you feel about the, the makeover elements of this movie?
3: Well, first of all, I love a good montage scene. <laughs> Especially in teen movies, they do it the best. So I really like it as, you know, a scene. Um, but, like, Harmony was saying, I agree that... A lot of movies portray um, ma- the makeover aspect as being an ultimately negative thing. Like when you look at like Jawbreaker or Mean Girls or Never Been Kissed, it's like they, they changed who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do a little bit of that with the House Bunny, but also it ends up being, like you said, they take a little bit of Shelly and a little bit of themselves and that shows growth. I mean, that just shows that they tried something and they took the elements that they liked out of it and grew as people. Rather than just like staying stuck in who they were, without you know insight into to Shelley's way of life. So, in looking at this
0: interview that the writers had um, on Medium, the author asked them, you know, the movie did really well at the box office. It landed at number two its opening week, right behind *Tropic Thunder*.
3: What? Yeah, (laughs) behind (laughs) *Tropic Thunder*. (laughs) Behind
0: *Tropic Thunder*. But in rereading the reviews, it was clear that while there were definitely those that loved it, there were others that thought the movie wasn't sexy enough. Some felt it wasn't feminist enough. And then they, you know, they asked, what do you think about that? So um, Kirsten Smith said that it had been a similar experience with their past films where it was like they were slightly dismissed. There was always this kind of eye roll about the movies because they have a pop tone and they're about funny women And it seemed like that was what happened again with this movie. I don't know what the Rotten Tomatoes is compared to other movies like Legally Blonde or 10 Things I Hate About You or She's the Man because this has a less overt feminist underpinning. But I also feel we were always approaching it from some kind of empowerment view. We always liked the idea of underdog stories. We always like stories where people are underestimating the central character and saying that she can't do something or she's defined in a certain way so she can take the label that society is giving her. And push back and say, no, that's not me. I'm much more complicated and I can be much more accomplished than the box you're putting me in. And that's kind of how I feel about these makeover scenes is that, you know, Shelly has sort of existed in this box for a long time and it's the only box that she knows. So when she meets these girls, you know, of course, that's going to be her instinct is, hey, this is what worked for me. Let me show you what worked for me. And it takes you know, the Zetas kind of coming to terms with who they are and realizing, okay, this box that Shelley just put us in, like, this isn't really for us. Let's find our own boxes.
1: Oh, exactly. And I think what the makeover does is obviously it makes the girls hotter in a more like overt, obvious sense. Kat Dennings in particular, like that was that mm-hmm. style icon. If I had been out as trans at that point, that's whose style I would have been ripping off. But what this movie ends up doing Aside from just the surface level, make these frumpy, whatever you want to call them, negative stereotype women hotter, it's really just teaching them to be more confident and more overt and more sure of who they are. It's basically like, hey, um, being uh, Shelly's version of hot is like training wheels. And then once the training wheels fall off, it's like, cool, ride on your own without falling over. And then they do that.
0: Is it training wheels or is it a water bra?
1: I was more so thinking of a back brace that falls
0: off. So Karen McCullough Lutz uh, also had something to say about that. And I really like what she says. And she goes, I think it's funny that somebody once said that it wasn't sexy enough because that was definitely not our intent. Our intent was to make a funny movie, not a sexy movie. Go watch porn, dude. But yeah, the (laughs) message of this movie is the clearly simple golden rule. Don't judge a book by its cover, don't let other people's opinions define you, and be kind to each other. All pretty simple humanity stuff, so I think that stuff still holds, and if someone doesn't think that sexy, then fuck him. Oh,
3: I love that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, like, don't get me wrong, like, I wouldn't say this movie is, it's definitely not being sexy, but, like, there is an element of, like, sex layered over it because of just the nature of Playboy. But it's almost like, I read, I watched this movie for for the funnies and the articles, not for the sex.
3: Yeah. I, but I do love Anna Ferris' outfits. No, of course. So, yeah, <laughs> I was going to... All, gonna... like, 75 of them.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask about that because the fashion in this movie is pretty iconic and definitely a time capsule mm-hmm. of, of what 2008. So I would love to hear you gush over these outfits Cassie since I mean this is what you do for a living is is fashion and you know vintage clothing and everything that goes with it so tell me a little bit about this costume design
3: well I will say that that period of time like the early to like later aughts 2000s um was is my least favorite time for fashion in history
0: you mean like (laughs) ashley tisdale wearing a dress over jeans
3: exactly (laughs) (laughs) hip huggers bedazzled things you know it just all denim everything i just (laughs) i it was my my teen teen to early 20s years and i remember it well but i hated it and this movie though, looking back on it, Anna Ferris's outfits are like part costume, but also part, you know, two thousands, like bad two thousands fashion in kind of the best way. Oh yeah. Like Fredericks of Hollywood meets like a like Halloween costume sort of
1: Oh, absolutely. essence. There's a lot of like Frederick of Hollywood's mixed with like a leg. I was just going to say there's, and I
3: love a good costume.
1: There's,
0: there's that montage when she's because uh, there's a couple montages in this. There's obviously the the physical makeover of all the Zetas. But then there's also the mind makeover when she's reading books with dust on them. <laughs> and all three of us chimed in because she's wearing this like studious professor outfit sitting on the porch that's like a crop top and a mini skirt with plaid and like a fake like sewn in tie that 1000% looks like it would be sold as like leg avenue naughty teacher outfits exactly. like
1: for and I sure I love it <laughs> I love all of her outfits especially because they highlight all of the four main areas which is like what what is it cleavage stomach legs and and, arms and arms yeah yeah she's just exposing a lot of really key areas
3: and it doesn't hurt that her body is amazing right like she toned up so well
1: for this movie and just looks great
3: i wanted to cite uh
0: so this interview with the writers is really really brilliant and anytime that we get the chance to talk about movies uh using the voices of those that made it i'm always going to because you know obviously impact is very important but i do like to look at the intent of things Uh so the author asked is there a moment when it really hit you that you did it you had made this movie about a lovable playboy bunny and karen mccullough lutz says i remember the first time we saw her in costume my god she was at the table read and you know we went out and pitched that she would wear a short skirt and look cute like our version of the bunny The director got her to hair and makeup for the table read for Sony. And when she walked in the room, I almost fell out of my chair. Oh my God. It was such a transformation. Anna's really this girl next door beautiful, but they glammed her up to make her this sexualized bunny beautiful. And it was kind of funny to see the transformation. But I remember that moment pretty vividly because the director was giving me a thumbs up because he was so happy about my reaction.
1: No, but just think about that transformation though. Like at the start of the decade, she was in Scary Movie with like the jet black kind of stringy, greasy hair and was really pale and didn't wear almost any makeup. And like that fits the character. But that is an extreme opposite of this movie.
0: Yeah. So looking at her filmography, like in, in order. So we've got the Scary Movie movies. So she's supposed to look like enough Campbell, hence the black hair. Uh But then we get May, where she also still has black hair. That's the Lucky McKee movie. And she plays like super hot predatory lesbian character. Mm-hmm. Then we get the hot chick. So that's when we go blonde finally. Yes. And then she sort of envelops this like girl next door sort of look. Uh, same thing with the movie Southern Bells, which is uh, like very underrated. Methinks. Then we have Waiting. Oh
1: my God, I love Waiting.
0: I know. I know you love Waiting. And then she, I, I love that's her when too much
1: eye makeup. It's she incredible. has so it's much
0: eye makeup on amazing. in that movie. <laughs> and that's, I think, where we get the start of uh, sort of the glammed up Anna Ferris. And then we get Just Friends, and I think Just Friends really is when people were like, "Holy shit, this girl is a star!" Because that performance of Samantha James just—that is a masterclass, I think, (laughs) and just pure comedy gold. She's she's just wonderful. Um, And then after that, you know, she's doing a lot of side bits, a lot of side characters. But I think the House Bunny. I think it really kind of exploded her from from there and sort of solidified her as like, hey, yeah, I can handle eight seasons of TV as the main character, because she's she's just brilliant in this role. She's so endearing.
3: Yeah, it's her. I think it's her best role, her best movie. Do you agree? It's, oh, I think so.
0: I think it's a for me, it's a toss between this and Just Friends, just because I love her so much in that. I just love I hope, her, I'll her I'll brand of crazy. One.
1: I'll give it to this movie for. <laughs> quantity
0: yes, yes. oh friends. for sure for and sure she's for the sure.
3: star of this movie which a lot of the other movies you mentioned she's she's a like supporting. a side character yeah well, she was an
1: ensemble cast and she's like a co-star
3: yeah yeah
0: yeah this was definitely her moment to shine and i think she really made the best of it because i i keep thinking about this character right so we have former playboy bunny not the brightest bulb heart of gold mm-hmm. you give that role to any other actor i would probably hate this character
1: like give it to I don't know, who who else would have been able who else is big in comedy? I don't fucking know. Tara Reed?
0: That's actually a really okay, that yes. No, that's a great work. that's a great comparison because I think about Tara Reed and like Josie and the Pussycats where she's melody oh, and yeah. she's kind of ditzy, but has a heart of gold and like wants to save puppies and is vegan. That
1: carrier, that character can't carry a movie.
0: Correct. That character would not be able to carry the movie and that's why they need like the, the, the side characters to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um that's why it's Josie and the Pussycats, not melody. But that's a the thing, though.
1: That's a really interesting dynamic though because if you think about like not generally considered very bright characters but have really really funny dialogue, they're not the lead because it's really hard to carry a film off of that character. They are exactly. like the kind of ditzy friend. Whether it be someone like Josie and the Pussycats or like single D Ed and Ed Ed and Eddie. Like that character is not the lead because it's really hard to relate to someone who's consistently seen as like so dumb.
3: I'm, I can't believe I can't. Oh, Amanda Seafried, right? Oh, in Girls. yeah. Her, uh-huh. I love yes, her character, Karen. But, yes. she, but she's not the main character. No, of yeah. course not, because that character can't
1: carry a movie very well.
0: So what is it that we think is happening with Shelley that Shelly can carry this whole movie? What is it, do we think? What's that magic combination that is existing to where we're like, yep, this character, whole movie, I'm in?
1: I don't. No. Oh,
0: I don't know either. <laughs> is,
1: is it is it that she has an arc to improve? Is it that she has something to offer as far as like teachings? So it makes her inherently have this weird sage wisdom in a very specific market?
3: I've, I think it's also that she has that heart of gold where she's just so... She wants to do good throughout the entire movie.
0: I think it's the heart of gold for sure. Because yeah. she is somebody who is purely running off of good intentions and I don't think that people like that are real anymore I don't think they exist
1: um excuse me there is one in the other microphone on the-
0: <laughs> right yeah I mean <laughs> you're probably the closest thing like every everyone else in my life like they're at least an asshole some of the time and I don't think that that I don't I've never seen you be an asshole no, Cassie feels
1: <laughs> bad when she has to be mean to people <laughs>
3: It's true <laughs> which is definitely I mean it's definitely happened and bartending will do that to you. oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you have to lay down the law <laughs> so you
0: have this character who's just so well intended that even when she's so horribly misguided or just straight up wrong, you can't help but want her to be better. like you don't want to write her off. you're like let me let me let me help you let me help you with this like. You're so close. Let me, let me fix this.
1: I don't want to see her fail and live in her shitty loud doored station wagon.
0: That makes the dogs bark every time she opens oh. it and it's a stupid gag and I love it.
1: Yeah. I don't want to see her fail. I think that's maybe also part of it is because you see her be like, okay, here's where your life is. And then immediately it's like, whoops, there it all goes because you are like 59 years old in bunny years because you're 27 and everyone in this room is older than 27. <laughs> yeah but like you see her like hit essentially what's rock bottom for her right as she was about to be centerfold before being betrayed which we barely even touched on as a plot point but you don't you don't want that to happen and I think that that setup really makes you feel for this character
0: yeah I think so too and I mean the betrayal I really haven't brought up because I think it is just such a non-storyline is that betrayal I feel like it's a little bit... I think, honestly, it's the cheapest part of the movie because it's kind of guided around the guy who is betraying her just because he's getting his nipples twisted and that's his, like, kryptonite, which... just Okay, sure. And then... He really
1: likes nipple playing. And
0: then we get these, like, side... Shots of Hugh Hefner just, like, eating a lot of ice cream.
3: Which, for somebody who's been in the spotlight his whole life, he was not a very good actor.
0: No. No, no, Hugh Hefner's not a very good actor. He's there because he's Hugh Hefner, not because he's a good actor. (laughs) Yeah. Like, his performances on... Like girls next door are better because I guess it's reality TV, so it's just him existing mm-hmm. with cameras in front of he him. have to
1: remember lines. Yeah, him
0: delivering lines is like so wooden.
1: Geez, Shelly, I just really <laughs> missed you. <laughs> Bring me more ice cream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> but thinking about, you know, that betrayal though, Shelly for her entire life has been like sexualized and like oogled by men. I mean, it's very interesting how there are these moments where they touch on kind of how insidious the life is there, but she doesn't recognize how bad I think some of those elements are. It's like, oh, yeah, there's roofie jokes. And also like I did charity work once I let Bob Saget grind on me and you're like, oh, no, like, ooh, that's charity work. That Oh, that hurts my heart a little bit, um, but she just has this sunny disposition to where she's not recognizing that, like, hey, yeah, getting roofied is not 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 okay.
1: It's not just part of the job. It's it's it shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, so I think that that's a really interesting thing that they're not shy. They're not afraid to shy away from that, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, she's been living in communities of women her entire life out like she was in the orphanage and surrounded by you know kids and then she was at the playboy mansion so she's surrounded by women and living there and then she moves to this you know sorority house and she's surrounded by women
2: okay look don't get me wrong i love guys but i lived in a house filled with girls for nine years and i know that there's nothing better than just being with your sisters Sharing, talking all night, painting each other's bodies, baking penis cookies, playing with monkeys. Where'd you live? The Playboy Mansion? No, that doesn't make her a hooker. Sorry.
0: So I want to know, what are your thoughts on sort of the themes of sisterhood in this movie? Like, what what are your takeaways from that?
3: Well, speaking as someone who actually was in a sorority for only one year, <laughs> which is actually, I think, one of the reasons why I also really like this movie, because it came out in 2008, which was my senior year of college, actually, which was the year I was in the sorority. So oh, I guess I related go. super hard. I was in what all the other sororities called the loser sorority, which you was... were a Zeta? We weren't... <laughs> I was a Zeta. <laughs> I was a cap Delta. Um... But the reason I joined was specifically to have that sisterhood because the, this was the only sorority where they didn't force you to drink or party. I didn't drink at all in college. Later became a bartender but didn't <laughs> drink in college. Um, and it was all just about the sisterhood. And it was something that I hadn't really had up until that point, living in a house of women. You know, as long as it's done in a positive way where people allow like you to be yourself, I think it can be a really good thing.
1: Yeah, I like that. I, I don't know. I always find it weird whenever we talk about, like, sisterhood, at least in a very literal terms for something like a sorority house, which we've done a few times on past episodes, but I didn't go to college, and I don't mm-hmm. generally exist in, like, largely sisterhoody woman spaces. Uh, I tend to exist in just incidental spaces Mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, if there's a bunch of queer people, they just happened to be queer. And we all ended up together. If there's a bunch of women, they just happened to be women. And we just kind of ended up in the same space together. And I can't say I've ever had that as a, as a deliberate choice of something I've, I've, I guess I've involved myself in Mm -hmm. not like any sort of avoidance. It's just never been a thing in my life.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, that's understandable when I went to college all of the women on my freshman year dorm floor, so like, you know, random roommates and everything, um, they all were in sororities. A bunch of them were in the same one, but then a couple of others were just in different sororities. But I was sort of, you know, I was, I was floor mom. I took care of everybody. I picked up everybody. So I was not in a sorority, but I, like, everybody in all of their houses knew who I was mm-hmm. because I was always the one taking care of everybody. And that was like a very unique experience. I guess I was a house mother, so to speak, for them. Um, but what's interesting is my little sister was in a sorority, and she was in like the sorority. She was in like the pretty girl sorority, uh-huh. and I I know that when she when she graduated, and I'm so sorry for airing your your dirty laundry like this. Um, but there was definitely like this weird crisis of her coming back home and being with our family who like, you know, we come from, we're a very modest family in terms of like finances. We're not rich by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And we were very poor growing up. Um, So she came home and it was like, Hey, you have to get a job and you have to do this and you have to work hard and you're still going to struggle. Whereas all of the friends she had in her sorority went home and like started working super cushy jobs for like their parents companies. And it's like the, Oh yeah, we were all together for four years and we were these like great sisters, but now we're separating and we have nothing in common. Our lives are completely different and they do not understand me. And I think that's also really interesting about, about the sisterhood that we're seeing in this movie, because we have, you know, the playboy playmates who they all are together and they all love each other but once shelly leaves it's like none of them called her Uh none of them checked on her none of them contacted her it's like that sisterhood ended the second she left this this the the cobblestone streets of the playboy bunny mansion the playboy mansion and then of course when she she shows back up for that brief period of time they welcome her back with open arms which is great which to me feels very much like like graduating right like So many times you you have these great friendships in your life and these relationships that are so important. And maybe they last, maybe they don't. But it's important that you appreciate them while you have them. And I think there's something to be said in this movie about that.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because maybe I'm just being idyllic about this or something. But my understanding of what a sorority house or like a frat house, the whole point of it is that it's like, oh, hey, you're, you're getting together with, like, your peers and there's camaraderie and it's essentially you creating a family away from your family. Like, that's, that's the very idealized version of what it's supposed to be. But from what I understand from a lot of movies and stuff that uh, don't exactly portray Greek life in the most positive light, I think there's an understanding that, oh, I'm in this sorority because it's going to put me in connections with people who will fast-track
3: my life. That
0: can sometimes happen, yeah, for sure.
3: That, Yeah, that. I mean, I totally understand what you're saying because you don't get to choose everyone you're in the sorority with. And when you're forced kind of to live with these people in the name of sisterhood just because they join the same sorority as you, not everybody's going to get along, not everyone's going to be somebody you want to have a lasting friendship with. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the sororities at my school, I remember they made their pledges walk down the street And fraternity houses would throw actual food at them. Great. And that was like their part of their initiation process. That was the hazing, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, uh, one of the sororities on my campus, I will not say which one because obviously it's an alleged claim and I know that Greek life people care very much about their... They're quite litigious. Yes, about their reputations. Uh, I, I know that firsthand because when I was in college, my sorority friends and I went to see the remake sorority row and talked about it. And I talked about seeing that movie with a sorority and like their head chapter contacted me and they were like, you need to take that blog down or we'll sue you. And I was like, holy shit. Um, so yeah, so for that, I'm not going to say which sorority it was, <laughs> but, uh, there was a sorority on my campus where I know for sure that girls who pledged, um, stood in their underwear while the like elders of the sorority circled everything on their body and Sharpie that was wrong with them.
3: We had that too, except the girls sat on a washing machine and while it, you know, was operating, whatever jiggled, they would circle and they had to wear a metal washer on their jacket, depending on the size, like the size would be directly coinciding with how many circles were on your body. So bigger girls would have bigger washers. Yes. Yes. That's terrible. We had some really horrible hazing. God, I'm glad I didn't go to college.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, just just <sighs> awful things. And I think that's why I appreciate movies like Sydney White and Sorority Boys and The House Bunny. Because they do show that aspect of Greek life that isn't terrible and insidious. Because it would be very unfair to brush all... Of Greek life with that like terrible terrible brush does it exist yeah of course holy shit yeah of course but there are those that really are about philanthropy and taking care of people and you know making these connections and these these familial bonds and I like when movies point that out that there is a there is an alternative to this it does not have to be the way that so many people think that it needs to
1: be yeah well most of that exists in the name of tradition and some traditions should be killed off
0: uh, yeah, yeah, they should. So because this movie is about ultimately like a Playboy bunny and we talked a little bit earlier about things like OnlyFans and sort of like normalizing sex work and whatnot, it's really hard to also talk about this movie and I identify the iconic image of, you know, Shelly being a Playboy bunny because you just say like, oh, she's a Playboy bunny. And you know what that means, like culturally speaking. You, uh-huh. Everybody knows what that means, how that life is lived, whatever, whatever.
1: That's an American institution. Yes,
0: it's an American institution. Absolutely. But it's also difficult to grapple with, I guess, the legacy of Hugh Hefner and Playboy just as an institution. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm curious if any of you have any thoughts or comments on that.
3: As somebody who collects vintage Playboys and loves the aesthetic of vintage Playboy, and, you know, I I just love pinups in general, I'm just, I live almost in a fantasy world with it, where I see it just as an art form, and I don't often dig into the, the reality of what it was and how these women were treated, and... It's just, I, I hate it. <laughs> it really yeah. depresses me because you can have, an, I would like to believe that you could have a nude magazine that with, you know, amazing articles and the women are paid fairly and not exploited, but that unfortunately wasn't the case with Playboy.
1: No, and you know, I, I used to work at the same vintage store that you work at and we both spent a fair amount of time every single time a, a big old box of Playboys <laughs> came in, just combing through them and reading stuff. And I, oh, I read yeah. some really interesting articles from all sorts of people. I remember Tiny Tim had an article in there, which is very strange because that man was a very devout <laughs> Catholic. But I, uh, I, I, Playboy as an institution is so fascinating to me because obviously, like the Playboy Bunny is such an iconic logo. The Playboy, I, I guess, outfit or whatever, with the ears and, like, the strapless corset thing. is like, oh my god, I love that aesthetic. But, yeah, Hugh Hefner is so complicated because, obviously, like, he's he was an old, skeevy piece of shit. But in his early years, Hugh Hefner was, like, really forward-thinking and, like, pro-women in the early, like, 50s and early 60s of how he ran Playboy. And I cannot tell you exactly exact examples of what because it's been a long time since I read those articles because I was reading a bunch of them like for a few years before he died and then they all surfaced back up and then were promptly buried by like oh hey here's a reminder that Hugh Hefner's a piece of shit and he is but it's a really good example of someone who was very progressive at one point and then the world changed and he stayed the same old man in his smoking jacket forever
0: So you're saying he's RuPaul.
1: If you want to go ahead and start that fire, I'm not going to put it out. (laughs)
0: Oh, I've started that fire for a, a very long time. I think that's a really good way to explain it, is that he's somebody who at the time was so progressive and ahead of the curve, and then the world evolved past him, and he didn't evolve with it. Yeah. I think that's what happened. And then I think also there's, you know, we could examine the the world of trading nudie bags all day um and see like well then penthouse did this so then he felt he needed to do this like there's a lot of factors that went into it Uh but ultimately it's i have this very complicated relationship with it as well because i i too love the the vintage playboys and the aesthetic that came with all those pinups and i'm also somebody who's Written for Playboy. Yes. And I remember telling my parents when I, I booked my first gig writing for Playboy.com.
1: Wasn't it about Tremors?
0: It was about Tremors. Uh. <laughs> the first thing I ever wrote for Playboy was about Tremors. It was for an anniversary piece. Um,
3: no wonder you two are meant to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, uh, at this point, I had written for, in my opinion, like pretty impressive websites i had had some stuff on like RogerEbert.com. i was really proud of my work but my parents never fully understood like what freelance writing was and to some extent they still do not like i'll get super hype because like oh i'm doing this thing on vulture and they're like I don't know what that is because they don't read the news or online publications.
1: What's this fricking bird?
0: Yeah. What's this bird? I don't understand. Um, so I remember calling them and going, Hey, so I just booked a new publication. I'm going to do some writing for them. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. What is it? I was like, it's playboy. And my parents were so proud. And they're like, we're going to tell everyone we know that's amazing. You're gonna in Playboy. Oh my gosh. And they, it just blew their minds to the point where my dad was like bummed out because they were selling shirts at the time that said like, I'm in it for the articles. And he wanted to buy that shirt from the Playboy shop Aww. to wear it and like tell people like my daughter's written for them. Like they were so proud of me. And it's because it is this institution. And, I think that just the legacy of Playboy is, is one that's very complicated. And I think it's just as complicated as Hugh Hefner is as a person. And I think it's just as complicated as our relationship with sex, sex work, sex positivity, body positivity, anything like that. Um, oh, absolutely. And I think that it's it's just important that we recognize that in no way do I feel like the house bunny is trying to like gloss over like some of the uglier aspects of Playboy and things that happened at that company. I think if anything, they're celebrating the women who have worked there Mm -hmm. as well as like pointing out that these are women that we should love and respect and not judge them.
1: Honestly, the feminism of the house bunny greatly exceeds anything that Playboy has done in a very long time for women. But I think about one thing in particular about playboy and it's that i worked in an adult store at the time that i think it would have been the 50th anniversary of playboy and they had like a 50th anniversary issue actually apparently it was the 60th anniversary my bad and no one gave a shit like we did not sell any copies of it, I think there were guys coming in saying like, oh my God, I think this is going to be a collector's piece. And then they put it back on the shelf because I I don't know what legacy Playboy even really has anymore. It's almost like people who wear like shirts with the Jack Daniels logo on it, despite not liking Jack Daniels, because the brand is more iconic than anything that it's actually doing anymore.
3: You know what blows my mind though? Working at a vintage store that sells the same one that you used to, Uh (laughs) uh, that sells Playboy we've been selling ones from like 2008, 2009. Ones that like honestly I wouldn't have bought them to, to resell, but other dealers have and people mm-hmm. are buying them because they I feel like almost like it's like a time capsule of the like we were talking about the fashion of the time. People are nostalgic for it in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I know that there
0: was always, there was a trend for a long period of time of buying people Like, Playboys of like, oh, this is the Playboy from like your birthday, like when the day you were born. Yeah, that's still a thing. Yeah, it's definitely still a thing. So, I mean, that's part of it. But I honestly, I think it's like just the internet killed it. I really do. Because, oh, definitely. Like, I think about kids today and like, where do you like people aren't buying Playboy and sneaking them and hiding them in their clubhouses. They're looking up Pornhub on their phone. (laughs) like.
3: True, but now that we've moved so far beyond print and people aren't picking up magazines as much anymore, kids, I'm seeing a lot of kids buying these Playboys and I think it's because... It's like a novelty item to them to buy okay. a magazine because they they grew up looking on the computer, looking on their phones, seeing media that way and not actually holding something in their hand. That's a mo- really good point. almost magical for them to pick some, especially like an older Playboy, to pick it up and see how that used to be how people got their information and in their pop culture.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think about that about the magazines I read growing up and where I had a monthly subscription to something like Nintendo Power. And I would look forward to it every month, and it was awesome. But now it's like, hey, I got a question about Animal Crossing. Cool, I'm just going to Google it.
3: Mm Yeah, the magic is kind of gone from it.
1: Yeah, like, the whole, I I guess the ritual of buying and opening a magazine and getting, like, the wholeness of what it is, ads and and, and crap you don't want to read and all, like, nobody nobody cares about that. I wonder if it's just, like, life is too fast for that now where you just don't want to bother wasting your time, especially because... There's certainly this archaic nature to it. Uh, It's probably similar for like records where someone goes, well, there's 10 songs on here I don't want to listen to and there's only two that I do. Why wouldn't I just do that when I can go to Spotify? Mm -hmm. And obviously that's like a a gross overgeneralization probably. But I I think that might also be part of it. But there's still something cool about like seeing like, oh my God, this is the Beatles Abbey Road and I'm holding it.
0: I feel the same way about movies. I'm actually really glad you brought up like making something tangible, Cassie, because I feel... I feel that way about movies. Like so many people are like, I don't buy physical media anymore. I just get it all online. Mm -hmm. And I am not that person. I can't do it because, you know, what if tomorrow they decide like, well, we're not going to have this movie on Netflix anymore. And now it's going to go into a vault and you're never going to see it again. And I just can't live that way. So a lot of the movies that I own are movies that I'm afraid, like will go away and I'll never get them back.
1: Yeah. Same thing, especially because a lot of the things that I collect are like, very specific lost films you know like we're big fans of like vinegar syndrome as an example
0: oh god bless vinegar syndrome speaking of vintage smut (laughs) of course
1: (laughs) so like there's 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 always going to be a charm and an appeal to a physical version of something i know that we own a few playboys uh the most specific one being the one that features china she just got packed up at the time of recording, and we'll probably be getting unpacked about the time that this comes out. And
0: she will be treasured forever. If you're going to be banned from the Hall of Fame because you did this, then we're going to appreciate it.
1: Exactly. And I uh, know, that's, that's a weird circumstance of just what sex work of any kind does. Even something that was once considered as prestigious as Playboy. Like, mm-hmm. even in this movie, Shelley never becomes a centerfold like, she's like, oh, I'm 27, and I really want to be a centerfold. And everyone asks her, oh, are you a centerfold? Because that's just sort of synonymous with being a bunny. Everyone just assumes, I guess, that every bunny is a centerfold. hmm And when she finally does have the opportunity, which, oh, my God, her outfit is fantastic. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, the roller skates. The roller skates. My is... favorite of the and whole movie. those curls. Oh, she looks incredible in this bottom of this pool. Which and she's I... so sad. She's so sad. But, like, she looks great. <laughs> and... She finally gets what she thought she always wanted but then realizes that that's not important to her anymore. I guess the, the acclaim and the adoration of millions of people who she doesn't know doesn't matter as much as her seven sorority sisters for, that she's the house mother for. And I think that that's a really nice encapsulation of her growth as, as a person.
2: Yes. I am not an expert speech giver. But I do know that one day when your looks are gone, if everything you have is based on looks, well, then you've got nothing. You need your friends and your family by your side to love you for who you are, not what you look like. At the Zeta House, our new motto is be who you are because we're a family. We're a family that loves you on the inside.
0: And what's interesting, too, is this movie came out, I think, like, when playboy started dying i think that shelly is the last true great playboy bunny
3: probably who i agree <laughs>
0: that's how i feel about it
3: and now they don't even have nudity in playboy anymore right i think i think, I think,
0: I think they, they went back they oh, stopped okay. doing nudity so how for long a while did that last? i don't know and then they went back to it and i bought the first issue that didn't have nudity cuz i was curious i was like mm. really i need to know this um but i think they're back to doing nudity now but yeah I that's my headcanon, that Shelley Darlingson is the uh, it peaked. Yeah, she was the, she was it. That was it. We had we had Shelley and then now we have nothing.
1: She and was like a meteor. It burned real bright and then we've never <laughs> seen again.
3: I think I definitely need the the Anna Faris Playboy issue to, to complete my collection.
0: <laughs> I hope that there exists somewhere like a photoshopped image that someone made her like as the cover.
3: I think, well, wasn't she on the cover? maybe i know she did playboy but i don't know if it was the cover maybe she was the centerfold i hope it was in that outfit (laughs) i hope
1: so too
0: um she did she absolutely did playboy i see the cover and the cover is very cute she definitely looks like shelly
3: oh she looks exactly what you think she's gonna (laughs) look like i read that her manager wouldn't let her be nude though Oh, she's so cute! Oh my God. it is her as Shelly. Yeah,
0: we need to find this and track it
3: down.
1: I, I, need it. <laughs> I guess we're gonna go to eBay after. We'll after we get on this, <laughs> <laughs> we would like three copies of this one specific Playboy, please.
0: Well, on that note, I think that that uh, that closes the page a little bit on the house bunny. So I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway because it's how we do the show. Mm-hmm. So harmony. Cassie and the House Bunny are asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the note back?
1: I will absolutely go to the prom. I hope that I get my own makeover scene because, you know what, I wouldn't mind looking like a little bit of a uh, a late two thousands hoochie because there is some good style in there. I know that you are like, oh well, the two thousands had bad style. I'm like, but this movie has the good version of that bad style. Exactly, and it's really over the top and tacky in all of the ways that I love. And it's also probably like this envy because it's like, oh, I never got it when it was a thing, so now now I'm just coveting it. <laughs> but yeah, I I, I, I want to go to the dance. I want I want to dance with these old people maybe. And you're going to oh, have a yeah. banging soundtrack while you do it. Right? This soundtrack's awesome.
0: <laughs> so it does have a great soundtrack. <laughs> well, friends, that is all for us today. As we said at the top of the show, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom, or on Twitter and Instagram at this ends prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you?
1: You can find me, Harmony, Colangelo at Velociraptor. Velosa underscore trap underscore tour on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And Cassie, is there anywhere that
3: you would like people to follow you to you know see all the cool things you do? You can uh, find my vintage clothing at fanciful fawn vintage on Instagram or Depop. Awesome.
0: Well Cassie, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking to us about this wonderful movie.
3: Of course it was a blast.
1: <laughs> there is no one I would love to hang out with before we leave. This is this is really quite special, especially because mm. you are, you know, one of our best friends as a couple, without a shadow of a doubt.
0: Yeah, friends. This was supposed to be like our maid of honor at our wedding that got canceled. So this is, I guess, this is the the better version of the wedding speech.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, <sighs> I'm I'm glad that we got to hang out and have you on the podcast before we we moved across the country, and Me now too. I'm just gonna longingly look at you from afar through Instagram and miss you. (laughs) I love you. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.